0: Eight, seven, six, five, four,
1: three,
2: two, one. Hey, welcome back to Optimism Vaccine, the podcast about guys just hanging out and talking about their healthy relationships with their fathers. Joining me this week, uh, Jack Eason.
1: Steve, it's always a pleasure to hang out with you and reminisce about the big guy. That's right. Dads.
2: That's right, man. you remember when you were uh when you were in Ireland and, and you and your dad would just uh you'd just throw the old pig skin in the backyard?
1: Yes indeed. Yeah that Yep. Yeah, conjuring that one up right now. <laughs> Oh
2: my gosh! And then you would, what? Are, what are the like the the weird like Irish sports you guys got over there too? You got like variations on rugby and or what's, what's we got the rugby other one?
1: and we got hurling and yeah, hurling's a good one. I it's, it's yeah, not made of pigskin, but it's like a cork ball wrapped in leather, so it's like cowskin, I guess. Dang, that's a good one.
2: That's a good one. And then isn't is there's another thing too that's it's kind of like football. Games.
1: You don't really have many highlands in. It. <laughs> sure. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's well established that Scotland is Ireland uh, here at Optimism Base. <laughs>
1: We're geographically <laughs> loose.
2: Yeah, pretty geographically loose. Uh, you know, Jack and his dad just hanging out Caber in the backyard. <laughs> they they, cho- they they chop down a tree and then they take <laughs> turns throwing it around. <laughs> As one does. Also from the Highlands, uh, Jake Trapil is here.
3: Hey Steve, it's good to good to be back after a, a month and a half of watching great things to to revert to the optimism vaccine status quo of movies.
2: Well, I mean, listen, listen, uh, we did watch some great stuff. I feel like we don't always set ourselves up to watch terrible things. Like in my head, I'm like, this could be fun. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't usually pay off that way. I found.
3: Yeah. Well, this, this episode, I mean, I guess this is partially my fault. I think I suggested one of the films uh, that we watched uh, this evening. And, uh, yeah, now we're going to suffer for it. And so will the audience.
2: Hey, you know what? I mean, yeah, you recommended one of them. And the other movie we're going to talk about, on paper, seems like a winning combo. I don't know what, what <laughs> went wrong here. Yeah. but uh, or, who'd, have, who'd have thought? <laughs> uh, also joining us, a man who uh, he texts his father at least three times a day, Adam
0: Myros. Well, I think you may be confusing days with years again, Steve.
2: <laughs> yeah, I do have a tendency to do that. You know, I think are
1: super equipped for this episode. I hope our audience is ready for all the feels on this one.
2: <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, I, I like when a lot of other movie podcasts will probably be doing that. Just you know, reminiscing about their their favorite time with pops. Uh, yeah, you're probably not going to get that one here. That's not going to happen
0: no not so much
2: uh but yeah just just uh four dad experts hanging out uh talking dad movies and uh when when you think about dad movies i mean there's plenty of shit that your dad liked to watch we we know you know he, he would sit down on a saturday afternoon and flip on the tv to whatever like it's c-tier john wayne movies on he's like oh it's the war wagon i love this one no one loves the war wagon dad just you Or maybe it'd be uh, Under Siege, which he's watched 75 times in the last two months. But uh, there it is again, and he has to watch it. But no, we've taken a far more literal approach to Father's Day, and we are quite literally, we're talking about movies with the title Father's Day. So, believe it or not, I I, want to take you back to the late 1990s. And what if I told you that there was a a Reitman-directed uh, star vehicle for Billy Crystal and Robin Williams, called Father's Day. Okay, eighty-five million dollar budget. So this is this is what? big time cross promotion everywhere, including uh, an extensive soundtrack. And and did you know that Billy Crystal and Robin Williams both had cameos on Friends specifically to cross promote for this movie? So this was supposed to be the hit. You got your two A comedian stars uh, pretty much at the height of their powers or damn near close to it. And you've got uh, a director who who brought us things like Ghostbusters. You know, here's this comedic genius behind the camera. And what do we have? Well, we've we've got Father's Day, a movie without any jokes, I don't think. what the fuck is this how did this happen
1: it's it's always encouraging that I, I think the only time i actually laughed in this movie is the introduction to robin williams where he is about to commit suicide that's, like, <laughs> yeah. and, that's and the movie is all downhill from there um yeah this this one is a, a strange animal Um because yeah as like you said in your intro like fathers have movies you know, they got Dirty Harry and every action movie ever made and softcore porn and, you know, like there's just there's stuff out there for dads and sports. But they don't need this movie, which I think is just supposed to reaffirm that that men can love uh, in in the most kind of boring way possible. It's just sort of a meandering film about just two I guess opposite guys but like they don't really feel that opposite because one of them is Billy Crystal who seems to just be so middle of the road. No one could really be his opposite. Uh, Robin Williams plays mm-hmm. to the rafters or you know he's he's a little crazy and they just go to find a really annoying son who is frankly seems unlovable but they triumph over adversity and they like him by the end even though he's not really their son uh, ultimately there's a bunch of lessons in this movie <laughs> none of which land and it feels it's it's just one of those films that just happens um i i first saw this as, as a film where some cylinders are firing that's really that's this film it's just it <laughs> happened it exists yeah Done. Uh, well it's weird
2: too because this is a remake of a french movie uh which i've never heard of but it stars uh Gérard d'epardieu uh, you know, Optimism Vaccine favorite, mm. but uh, yeah, I don't know. This is like a like an early 80s Girard vehicle in France, and I feel like something may have gotten lost in translation, um, specifically the motivation behind why our characters are doing
1: this <laughs> or what lessons
2: they or us as an audience is supposed to learn from any of this.
1: I'd say it is fascinating because The Birdcage, also with Robin Williams in the late 90s, was also based on a French movie and also had a son who basically sucked. So there's this weird synergy happening in Hollywood of remaking French material with Robin Williams about shitty sons. Um, I don't know if there's a (laughs) third movie we can land in there, but I feel like it must exist.
3: Well, World's Greatest Dad is another Robin Williams shitty son movie. I don't know if it's based on a French film, but... <laughs> I don't know if they take that one. <laughs> I have don't it. think
1: so.
2: <laughs> we, we're just going to have to assume. I like how basically we're crafting another podcast episode based on those three movies. Where I, I'm, I mean, obviously we're covering Father's Day now. I'm pretty sure we've covered World's Greatest Dad in the past, so that would be good. Just a colossal retread, also featuring Father's Day 1997, which is one of the biggest piles of shit I've ever fucking seen.
0: I, you know what is odd is that not only is the birdcage also a French remake of a or a remake of an earlier French film, it's the same writer oh, as well,
3: <laughs> same <laughs> screenwriter for
0: both French wow. films. Was
3: Sugar Ray in the original? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm glad you asked that question, Jake, because people need to understand that we're we're having this pitch to us as a Billy Crystal Robin Williams film, but ultimately. I mean, this is a movie about Sugar Ray. The the '90s, the late 90s, early 2000s band with such hits as Fly and uh, uh, Every Morning, which is kind of like the shittier version of Fly if you're a big Sugar Ray guy. Hmm. Uh, and there's some other songs, too, that people enjoyed, probably. Uh, real soft rock, like fucking white wine on the beach music. And when I, I say it's a movie about them, I mean, it pretty much is, right? Like, this is a movie about a son who runs away to hang out with his girlfriend and follow Sugar Ray around the country like they're the fucking Grateful Dead or some shit.
1: Talk about the poverty of 90s culture that that's the band that you'd like pile in <laughs> a van to follow.
2: Yeah, like it's completely, like, insane, off-the-wall shit. Uh, the only thing that, that makes sense with the whole Sugar Ray thing, because they, they I mean, they have speaking parts, there's a performance, multiple performances. Like, they're sugar ray is in this movie this is a sugar ray movie okay yeah and the only thing believable is you know they they get to spend some time backstage with the band and uh robin williams non-kid this the shitty kid he loses his girlfriend because uh she wants to bone mark McGrath. which in 1997 yeah get in line lady everybody wanted to yeah bone that's mark why McGrath. sugar ray is in this right
1: did they ever clarify what age she is as well? Because I mean, well, if- this is a fun part too
2: because I'm pretty sure the kid is 16. Right. I assume his girlfriend is the same age, no 18. So, uh, yeah, this is a this is a movie about Mark McGrath just chasing that underage strange. The whole, so, whole
1: thing is an elaborate honeypot scheme. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh but it,
2: then things get a little bit weirder with this movie because. You know, the setup is essentially, so this kid runs away and the the, the only thing the mom can think to do to get her son back is, for one reason or another, hunt down two men that she slept with 17 years ago, 16 years ago, whatever, and tell them that he is their son and he has disappeared so that they will go and get him. And in my head, I'm thinking if I have a son and he runs off to chase Sugar Ray around the country, well, first of all, fuck him, he's an idiot. Second of all, is this the best course of action? Is this why, why is the, how, how did we get here? Why is this the choice? That, like, think I, of the, the 10 million things you could do instead of like have a conversation with Billy Crystal in a restaurant so he will maybe go get your son
0: especially considering at the end of the film we're led to believe that that she never believed either of these two people to be the father and she had solely contacted them because she needed them to look for her son what what are they the fucking private eyes is something i don't i don't understand why would you think that these two men would be in any way qualified to look for your son and find this runaway Exactly.
2: Exactly. Well, especially, too, it's like after talking to them, these are men that you haven't seen in God knows how long. Okay. And Billy Crystal is just like, I don't give a fuck. Like, that's his reaction. He just happens to stumble into this after some, you know, reflection, personal reflection. And then Robin Williams is an obnoxious piece of shit, uh, which maybe maybe he is secretly the kid's dad. It's hard to say. But. Again, like, how can she just go and have, like, a cup of coffee with these two guys and then say, well, shit, like, obviously, you know, this this is the right move for me. Like, it, it, it all seems deranged to me.
0: Some psycho
1: shit. Also yeah. worth mentioning the mom as Natasha Kinski. It yes. Because why not? And barely appears <laughs> sure. in the film, frankly. She just kind of shows up like, you. you have a son, you should find him. I'm very worried about it. And then disappears for about the next hour plus of the movie which to be fair so does another character the father of the boy ostensibly the the man who raised him yeah the actual father also disappears for the majority of the movie but he keeps showing up it's the most curious thing he's not in the movie but they keep giving him scenes very disturbing Mm
0: -hmm. well they they don't even like write this fucking movie because they they immediately find the kid and they're like alright we'll bring him home in the morning and then for some reason Bruce Greenwood's like well, I'm now going to head out on the road to find him. It's like, but they already found him, and they said they're going to bring him home in the morning. So for some reason, he, he's decided he's going to meet them at the hotel, maybe? Not really clarified. But he blows out a tire. Then he breaks an axle and gets poop dumped on him because it's <laughs> already hard. And uh, that's his entire arc in the movie. Uh, the, the end, I guess. I, I don't know why we're supposed to like... <laughs> Revel in the misfortune of this character.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a weird message to
3: dads. It feels like, (laughs) uh, I don't know if Bruce Greenwood's subplot feels like it was some attempt at adding conflict to the film. As if, oh, what happens if the real dad gets to the kid before the two fake dads? The entire film feels like it was reverse engineered from the poster. All right. You get two guys notable for comedy Robin Williams, Billy Crystal. The premise is, what if one of these guys is actually your biological dad? Billy Crystal is the fussy lawyer who likes to sue people and get martinis at noon. Robin Williams is a suicidal whack job who is a struggling artist. Get them in a room together and laughs are bound to happen. That's the movie. And then, yeah, it's they immediately find the kid. There's this whole mess of the kids having stolen money from drug dealers or some shit. And, yeah, I, at that point, I don't. I'm not really sure what else... Uh, it happens. It's it's just a, a mess of scenes with backed by a lot of ska music.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't even remember how the drug dealer plot resolves itself. I entirely quit. They were they, at the concert. They get arrested.
3: Well, they just start headbutting them at the concert. Billy Crystal's good at headbutting people, and he shows Robin Williams to do it at the concert at the end. And so they just start headbutting all the people around them. Including
1: the drug dealers, and that's they run away. I don't know. Actual character <laughs> trait is Bill Billy Crystal is good at headbutting. That's
0: yeah, yeah. why not he just pay the Jared Harris's damn money? <laughs> yeah,
3: it's
1: only five thousand dollars. He also
3: he headbutts uh, to get information on where his son, his son is. He headbutts a mechanic played by Charles Rocket, uh, another comedian who was famous for killing himself later on. Um, this, this is a great movie, you guys. <laughs> I've just got to say. <laughs> yeah. All the good feelings running through it.
0: <laughs> Both Billy Crystal and uh Bruce Greenwood and Natasha Kinski seem to have obscene wealth. So uh, again, they're just they're putting out this fucking poor drug dealer just because their son's a piece of shit. Yeah. And
2: and the and the fact that they're rich, too. Like Natasha Kinsky, they, they live in this like massive mansion. Okay. Like it's it's fucking fancy. Um in Southern California. So presumably. Well, they're no, in a good place. Uh, San Francisco.
1: San Francisco. Yeah, San Francisco, even yeah.
2: more expensive.
3: <laughs> even more expensive.
2: So then it's like, why? Why would you not hire a private eye? I don't understand <laughs> what they're doing.
1: To elaborate on on the question of wealth, it is worth noting that that Robin Williams is like a failed author, playwright who's on the brink of suicide and still has a massive apartment in San Francisco. So oh, yeah. who knows? Uh, struggling yeah. middle class Hollywood, you know. So he's got like a two thousand square foot loft condo in in the most expensive <laughs> housing market I in the world.
3: Th- even think like his his exterior the exterior shots of his building are like one of the painted ladies, which are like the most expensive buildings you could <laughs> buy or rent in San Francisco. <laughs> and he's right. just yeah. in there lighting all of his 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 documents in a in a tin trash can and setting it on fire and pointing a gun to his head. You know, like you do. Yeah, normal guy stuff. And I, I agree with you, Jake, that it, it really feels like
2: the uh, the movie is reverse engineered from the poster, which is even more disappointing because the poster has Billy Crystal uh, looking all precious and then Robin Williams looking all goofy. And Robin Williams is actually grabbing Billy Crystal's necktie and putting it across his face like it's a mustache. And uh, that beautiful <laughs> scene never occurs. We never get tie as a mustache. No. I thought he was just sniffing the tie. He's just sniffing the tie. I don't know if that's better or worse. Now, I mentioned that this is a very Sugar Ray heavy film, which I cannot understate that enough. Like this is way more Sugar Ray than you're going to be comfortable with. You know, so you would think like, oh, there's a lot of Sugar Ray on the soundtrack. But boy, would you be wrong? Because this soundtrack is just overwhelmingly dominated by ska music. Um, there's multiple mighty, mighty boss tone songs, uh, including the impression that I get, which is used, I believe twice in the movie and pretty extensively, there's a real big fish song in the movie and then not, not ska, but still in like that, you know, that SoCal, uh, like pop punk circle, uh, there's, there's like three songs from the muffs in this, including an extended performance, which is super fucking weird there's a special song in there too yeah there's there's a movie it's a movie about sugar ray that features more songs by the muffs than by sugar ray (laughs) and there's an original paul mccartney song that is in the beginning is that
1: right there's two he's credited with two songs i believe but i don't know if both were written for the for the film but yeah it opens on a mccartney number
0: But that's like the most baffling thing because it's this fucking shitty like middle-aged dad movie and it opens with a music by fucking Paul McCartney credit and this like extended fucking credit sequence laid over this shitty 90s Paul McCartney song. And you're like, okay, that's the vibe of this movie. But no, it's all ska. Why the fuck did you pay Paul McCartney all this money?
1: <laughs> it feels like they're trying... Like, this really does feel like the, the, the vision of this was to bring fathers and their kids into the movies together
0: ska loving
1: kids Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah you know the kids love the ska the fathers love Paul McCartney and there's a little sly in the family stone and a few others an extended sequence where they they talk about how you know their dad's music is cool too Um, yeah I mean it it brings the question what, what this movie is for because like I said fathers have movies right they're just dad movies we all know what they are we've sat through many of them some of them are even good as just kind of a, an adjacent addendum, but um, this movie is is kind of like the Hallmark movie for dads. Like all of those are for all of them are for women, for moms to reassert, you know, that moms are very important, and you know, generally speaking, that you know, if you've had a kid, you're you're a really good person. That's something good people do, and it makes you a good person. And that's the end of the story. And this film just kind of comes in with this weird ideology about how. You know, men men aren't women, and that's a shame because it makes it more complicated to make shitty movies about it, like this about it. But um, you know, it's it's kind of like if you just foster any kind of a kid or have any share an in interest or experience with a child, or you know, care about anyone, even though you're a man, then that's very special. And that's kind of like the the movie is just this muddled mess of of sentimental moments pinned, as we point out on like. Scenarios that make no sense on characters that aren't particularly good or interesting or even nice. Um, it, it's a very peculiar thing, and and I also I just don't know what men need this movie like what like what kind of screwed up dad needed this movie to reaffirm you know his status as a father when uh, frankly in you know society. If you go outside with your kid once a week and throw a ball at him, you are like an ideal father. (laughs) That's like, that's the metric. You don't have to really do anything else and maybe be employed. That's it. Um, Don't don't understand what this movie is for in the late 90s or now. It is a baffling kind of a, it just feels like, like they were trying to invent a new holiday or invent, you know, a new staple for like Father's Day TV rotation and this was the best they come up for. And apparently, Steve, you said this cost eighty-five million, which is astonishing yeah. to me I And it made
0: twenty nine million, I believe. <laughs> I feel like that's like a twenty million to Robin Williams, twenty million to Billy Crystal, twenty million to Paul McCartney, and then split I, I'm the rest.
1: guessing, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. The
0: rest goes to Sugar Ray. Right?
1: And, and let's and let's not forget that Ivan Reitman, of course, gave us Jason Reitman. And so, you know, yeah. a wonderful legacy there of movies that are almost as boring as this one um <laughs> tremendous
3: yeah maybe that's why he made this movie cuz you know he was a father himself and uh he wanted to think that he had his, his finger on the pulse of the zeitgeist by making it about a sugar ray concert and uh but it turns out yeah the pulse was attached to a wrist of a severed arm in the middle of the woods
2: okay i'm going to need some i'm going to need some research here real quick Someone tell me how old Jason Reitman was in 1997, because this could actually lead us down the path that we need to go down. Um, I, I want to know if, like, maybe the now, reason Christ, why... 20 years old. How old was he? 20. Exactly. That explains everything. So, <laughs> I'm thinking because Sugar Ray was probably uh, signed to Warner Brothers Records as a Warner movie, if I'm not mistaken... Um, so let's say that that's why Sugar Ray ended up in the movie and then all the other stupid fucking music that sucks shit. I guarantee you, Jason Reitman, if you're listening right now, you motherfucker, you were into ska in 1997, was weren't you? That you little ska, was, yeah, skank it away. <laughs> oh, skanking away for ska day. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. That has got to be it. He's just like, oh, I need to connect with my son for this fucking movie about dads and sons. So, uh, what what are you listening to junior?
3: I'm listening to Real Big Fish. There's a movie, or there's a a song called She's Got a Girlfriend Now. Uh, It's about a girl that's, uh, she's a lesbian. Wow. Wow,
2: that sounds great, son. Uh, Let's put it in, let's put it in the movie.
1: Oh my Come God. On, Steve, why, why could the tagline for this movie now be Skanking Away for Scotthers Day? Skanking
0: Away for Scotthers Day, man. That's all you need to know. You know, the top listed tagline, not the one on the poster, but the top listed one on IMDb is The Reason Why Some Animals Eat Their Young. <laughs> the <tagline laughs> That's kind
2: of fucked up.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, you know, if there's
0: one good thing that this
2: movie did, it it led me to. The uh, the Sugar Ray Wikipedia page, which these guys got real fucked up later in their lives. Um, just just a lot of weird factoids that I was able to pull out. So, um, my favorite being Sugar Ray did a cover of John Cale and Brian Eno's song "Spinning Away" for the soundtrack to the film The Beach, which I think was the same year that this came out. So yeah, they this they had a big film career going where they were doing the Beach soundtrack with a fucking Brian Eno cover. Um. Also, uh, one of the guys in Sugar Ray, like I think it was like the bass player, he left the band because he wanted to take a job working for uh, Aaron Rodgers, who's the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. And personal favorite line on the entire Sugar Ray Wikipedia page. Um, and, and not because it tells you anything particularly interesting, but just because the way that it's written... <laughs> Uh, is the line that says, in 2011, the band had what Mark McGrath described as, quote, not the highest grossing year for Sugar Ray. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I could probably tell you that a decade after their last charting single, they weren't having their best financial year. <laughs> uh, see, oh, this man.
0: this is odd. The Sugar Ray thing is particularly odd. and Your theory does make sense, although I'm sure there's a... a a large amount of studio like oh this Mark McGrath guy's a, he's a handsome man we're going to push him uh, we'll make him a rock star because this is like you don't hear fly in this fucking movie this is like before they hit i mean it's kind of simultaneous but it was certainly filmed before yeah. they hit so uh, it, it's very strange none of the Sugar Ray songs you're hearing here are anything you've ever heard before in your life no it's it's from the uh, the lemonade and brownies era of Sugar Ray
2: which, uh, you know, many of you uh, Shuggy Ray heads out there may remember there's uh, songs from the soundtrack for the Road Rash uh, video game. I believe Road Rash 3D featured a couple uh, tracks, including um, the song Mean Machine and uh, also the the song that Sugar Ray performs on stage in Father's Day 1997. I don't know what it's called. It's like it's called like California Speed or something Home like
0: that. California.
2: Yeah, that's that's also in Road Rash. I remember that song. So um, that's, uh, I guess, some Sugar Ray trivia. That's gonna be you. the
1: most red hot Chili Peppers like rip off name for a song ever. If you told <laughs> oh, me that yeah. song existed, I'd be like, "That's a red hot Chili Pepper song." All their songs are named after California and drug references.
2: I mean, okay, so uh, another another fun fact from the Sugar Ray Wikipedia page, which in case you have, I, I read the whole thing last night. I was just completely you know, enamored by it. Um, (laughs) for, for the section titled musical style, which is just all kinds of fucked up by the way. Um, it's okay. So it says sugar Ray originally began their career as a hardcore punk band. They started like 1986 when they were just kids, uh, before introducing a DJ into the band's music, musical composition, resulting in their first shift in style. This new sound fused glam metal with hardcore punk and funk sample based hip hop, new wave, disco, dub, reggae, RMB, and soul music. So everything. Okay. That their their sound was everything. Um and then it says this sound has predominantly been categorized as new metal. So now, like, all what? that dumb bullshit that I just read is apparently just new... That's, that's like, if you're making a big pot of new metal, those are the ingredients. I would disagree. With. Whenever Ray, someone brings up new metal, metal,
1: metal I, I think of Sugar yeah. Ray, definitely top of the list there.
2: Definitely a number one for me. And now things get more interesting because... Okay, so this is just, like, dipshit Sugar Ray superfan who, who wrote this description.
1: Probably Mark uh, but McGrath. But then it's like,
2: okay, let's, let's get it from the man himself. How did Mark McGrath describe the band in their early years before fly and you know their their transcendence into wine mom chardonnay music territory and uh it says regarding the band's early music singer mark McGrath stated quote we were the chili peppers with zero talent out of necessity we kind of became known as a metal band <laughs>
1: <laughs> to go on record saying you're the chili peppers minus talent is like that is vicious I mean, I, I kind of I'm the kind of
2: guy who would say that, like, the chili peppers are the chili peppers with zero talent. <laughs> if someone so. told
1: me if someone told me they were like the chili peppers, with no talent, I would put them on suicide watch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I This is <laughs> well, not Mark McGrath. You're like, well, he's not going to kill himself
2: too handsome. <laughs> no, he oh, he's he's had a few shifts recently. Um, You know, you know, Kim Novak, how she she like showed up at the Oscars or something and she just like botoxed the shit out of her face. It was really like sad and kind of fucked up you're like oh man uh that's mark McGrath now uh he was on uh the 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 mass singer he's on the mass singer and they they revealed him and uh, shocking he's he's kind of he's lost a bit of a step there he seemed a little winded he's he doesn't have the voice he once had but he's like there's not a wrinkle to be found on this man he has the tightest shiniest skin on his face (laughs) that i've ever seen uh also i think he's like mentally deteriorating Uh, In 2019, Sugar Ray released a new album for the first time in 10 years, and they called the album Little Yachty. And if you're saying to yourself, isn't Little Yachty like an actual rapper? Um, And the answer is yes. Uh, But McGrath just thought it would be funny to, one, call the album that, and then also McGrath now views Sugar Ray as Yacht Rock, which doesn't make (laughs) any sense to me.
0: That's a shame he's mentally deteriorating. The guy used to be like the rock and roll Jeopardy King. Yeah, I know he was,
2: he was like, it was, it was amazing to watch him on rock and roll Jeopardy just because he was, he was really the Ken Jennings of music trivia. And, and here we are now with his, his mush brain and his tight, shiny skin. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a sad time, sad time. Uh, but yeah, anyways, all of this is to say, um, father's day, 1997 is a big piece of shit. Uh, sugar Ray sucks ass and the best thing Sugar Ray ever produced was actually uh, a video from a few years ago that was on, like, World Star Hip Hop. Did you guys see this? Have you seen this video? No. It's fucking amazing. No, Jay. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a video where, like, Mark McGrath is walking out of a bar and some guy's holding the camera and he's just like, Sugar Ray! sugar ray and mark McGrath's like what'd you fucking call me and he's like i called you sugar ray and mark McGrath like takes a swing at him <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're fucking sugar that's like that's like the hootie guy being like don't call me hootie it's like, you're fucking hootie man like this is who
1: you are to be fair my main i think one of my major lessons uh, from this movie is that the lead singer of sugar ray isn't sugar ray i just it's assumed not sugar that ray.
0: Well, uh, that's, uh, you know, if you if you grew up here, you would know better. Uh, Mark McGrath was fucking ubiquitous for a few years there.
2: Yeah, could not get rid of the guy at all. At all. Okay, well, the last thing we should talk about before we move on to the uh, other fabulous film that we've chosen for this episode. Jake, I'm going to need you to explain what lessons I was supposed to learn from the ending of Father's Day in 1997.
3: Well, it's quite, it's quite <laughs> simple, Steve. If, uh, if a woman lies... Possibly lies to you that uh, you fathered a son who may or may not be your son. It's okay to forgive because that son will take you on a journey, and then through that journey, you'll learn that maybe Sugar Ray is not so bad at all, and uh, you'll you'll get a new appreciation for ska music. I don't fucking know what you're supposed to take away from this. It's it's completely deranged, right? Like yeah. the fact that they
2: that neither one of them had any, like she knew that they weren't the father. Uh, neither one was the father right she used them instead of her extensive wealth to get her kid back and then like uh, they know that they, that they're not actually the dad or something and that they don't care Well,
0: i think billy crystal knows i uh, robin williams uh, he desperately needs to believe so I, fe- I feel like he's still clinging sure
2: yeah but i i but like what is the point of lying to these men I I don't, I just don't, like I cannot find
3: a a line. His point, the kid runs away from home in the opening credit montage. Presumably they won't let him go on this concert tour because he's a minor. Okay, fine, whatever. Why involve a third and fourth party you have not spoken with in over a decade and a half to find him when you can just go to the police? Why, why do, why drag these two men into any of this? It doesn't make any sense.
1: And and then the conclusion is that the whole the the actual family reunite the the son and his father and the mother and they all hug and then Billy Crystal and Robin Williams look on affectionately and then leave as if to kind of go like yeah our lives have changed now and it's like wow. Well, what's changed, really? Like, will you continue to have a relationship with this kid that you are a favorite, complete stranger to? You just went on one weird escapade because the mom lied to you? It's completely unclear what validation of fatherhood or male bonding is supposed to arise from this situation. It's, uh, yeah, it's a very strange kind of a setup.
0: I mean, to me, it's not unclear what the intent is. I mean, the execution is nonsense, but the the takeaway is that they've they've decided that the the right way in life is the uh, American nuclear family. So regardless of Mm -hmm. whether this is actually their son, they need to make sons of their own immediately uh, to validate their existence. Yeah.
1: Right, yeah. Robin Williams is going to swing from being suicidal to starting a family with someone.
0: (laughs) Someone who he's met fraudulently on the side of the road uh, using Billy Crystal's uh, vintage car. Right. (laughs)
1: you know what i had actually forgotten he does meet a woman yes Yes. he's gonna yeah yeah it's the last scene They're both on the way to the airport it's
3: as if fate would have it any other way they're on the
1: same flight going out of town it's that's right he meets a wonderful waiting uterus just beautiful
2: Mm. can't wait to fill it with his seed yum
1: yum that's what it's all about
3: should mention that, like, there's, there's just, there's like early on, I, I'm, get, this is, I'm, I mentioned this in our chat, but I think this feels like it was just kind of ripped straight from Mrs. Doubtfire, which everyone loved the scene in that movie where he's at a job interview and he just goes through a montage of different voices. And so when Robin Williams first gets the news that he's potentially a dad, he goes through a montage of him trying on all these different costumes, including like some like offensive Rastafarian outfits, as if to like, Say, oh, how am I best gonna greet my son? And you can just like hear Jason or freaking Reitman stifling laughter from behind the camera, like, oh, this is gold. This is this is the shit right here. We
1: got we got a money maker on our hands. Just keep keep doing this, Robin. It's just yeah, uh, the riffing for the sake of riffing is if it would make any sense whatsoever for a man on meeting his son for the first time to just pretend to be Jamaican.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> makes perfect sense. I, I mean, if you're a big Robin Williams fan and uh, you're you're at all sensitive, you might want to steer clear, clear of this one because, uh, yeah, yeah, as previously stated, uh, I, I don't think that suicide scene is, is funny because it's well written. It's just kind of funny. Like, holy shit. <laughs>
1: this, yeah, I mean, this, it's an, it's a, an old <laughs> joke. Yeah. You know, I mean, the one saving grace this film, I think, is Robin Williams is Robin Williams. Like, he... Yeah. Every so often, he elevates the material. The suicide joke is... It's not a new joke, but he's got a gun in his mouth, and he's about to kill himself, and then the phone rings, and he does this great reaction, which is, of course, you know, life is meaningless, I'm going to end it all, but also, you know, if someone's calling me, that could be important, and you know, it's that absolute absurdity, Williams plays that in his face really, really well, that as I say, is my one laugh in the whole film, and then after that, it's just... Nothing, and you're—I mean, you're right. At, at the end of the day, anything to do with Williams and suicide is just kind of a bitter pill now. So, uh, kind of, yeah. yeah, I can't see this one swimming, swinging back into the cinemas for repertory screenings anytime soon. No, probably not. I,
2: I also laughed in the beginning, just because it's so fucked up uh, in contemporary context. And then there was one other joke. I was trying to think of it in the chat because I, I remember I got into the very end of the movie. I was like, shit, there was something I laughed at. What was it? Which, again, real testament to the quality of the humor here. But I remembered what it was. It was when <laughs> Billy Crystal was like trying to give Robert Williams a pep talk or something, and he's like, oh, you're like Lou Gehrig. And Robert Williams was like, oh, who's Lou Gehrig? He goes, you know, he's a baseball player. He died of Lou Gehrig's disease. And then Robert Williams says, wow, what are the odds of that? Did you... <laughs>
1: Classic. it's just a so fucking stupid yeah
2: <laughs> wah wah yeah okay so there's there's your best joke uh robin williams uh faking uh, on the verge of suicide and then making a lou garrick's joke that uh, is probably the most dadly dad joke in the entire movie so uh I, you know take that with a grain of salt Anyways, uh, did you know that there's not one, but two movies in the world named Father's Day? And the other one was made in 2011. And who knew? Because I thought there would be more Father's Day movies out there. But uh, I guess, uh, you know, when they made the one in 1997, they thought, well, how can it get any better? Um, And then uh, in comes Astron 6, who you know because... Uh, they they make those movies that uh, they look like grindhouse movies, but they're not. They're 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 modern movies, and we, we, they just like to have fun that way. So, um, they they made Psycho Goreman. They made this movie Father's Day, and they also made Manborg. I believe that was their big breakthrough. Uh, played it like Fantastic Fest or something like that.
3: So, uh, Jake, what what is Father's Day? 2011? Oh, two thousand eleven. Oh boy, here we go. Father's Day concerns a uh, serial rapist and serial father eater and killer called the Fuckman, who's on the loose, and a trio of uh, 'er ne'er-do-wells. One of them is like a wannabe uh, vigilante, one of them is a street hustler, and another is a priest. They team up to stop the Fuckman's reign of terror, and uh, hilarity ensues, I guess you could say? Theoretically. Theoretically, <laughs>
2: <laughs> theoretically, yeah. This is you know the Astron Six guys. They have they have a definite like look and feel to all of their movies, and ev- everything's a big piss take. Like it's it's a pastiche, and some of it is done lovingly, but most of it is done with this like detached irony that that doesn't really maybe connect all the pieces together inside of their movies. Uh, so you know they they made the void, which I think. Uh, Jack, you described as a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of a John Carpenter movie, pretty much. Um, which is which is pretty much it. And 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 that's not even that bad. Um, they made, uh, I mean, I, I guess Manborg and uh, uh, what's what's the other one? The new one that I just mentioned, Psycho uh, Sh- Gorman. Gorman. <clears throat> yeah, Psycho Gorman. Those both are, are in the similar vein in that they feel like it's one joke, right? So in Psycho Gorman, it's what if a little girl had control of an intergalactic murderous space beast? And in Manborg, it's like, oh man, what if, you know, there was a goofy modern RoboCop silly movie? These are things that should be like five, 10 minute short films, um, but they're kind of stretched to their absolute breaking point. And Father's Day is is sort of in that same mold where it feels like this is, this is an idea that doesn't have a lot of substance to it. And I won't say that I hated this, not, not by any stretch. Uh, There's parts of it that I kind of got what they were doing. Um, But where I struggled the most is it it feels very inauthentic and it doesn't feel like it's done with a, a lot of love necessarily. And it wants to be a pastiche of, of Grindhouse and Trauma films, but at the same time, because of its detached irony, it, it doesn't hit the same weird wavelengths that the films it's paying homage to do. So it's just kind of messy, right? I, I don't know. To yeah.
0: me, it doesn't feel like a, a pastiche of Grindhouse. Like, this movie doesn't rely on the understanding of Grindhouse. This is a pastiche of the movie Grindhouse. Yeah, there you go. That's a better way of putting it.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I will say I I do hate this movie. This is like yeah. my least favorite. <laughs> I was kind trying to be movie. the bridge.
2: I was bridging yeah. the gap between you and Jake.
1: <laughs> no, to- totally fair. No, it's it's, and I mean, a lot of what you said is really would be exactly how it's summed up. And I think detached irony is kind of the key to it. That there's, um. There's just a non-committal throughout this entire film. It is ratcheted up to 11 on everything. There's just gore and nudity and like just biting people's penises off and all kinds of stuff just happening literally all the time. It's a zany looking film. They've just thrown in digital scratch marks and pops and clicks on the audio to make it look like to, to emulate an old film, but it otherwise doesn't look like a film from the 70s or the 60s, like there's no attempt to, you know, kind of complete the, the homage. It's And and this is really where it all comes around. It's, it's a film that kind of half does everything. It's a comedy, but most of the jokes are just sort of meandering tracts of dialogue, kind of whedonisms just kind of stretched out to... to kind of their breaking point. There's violence constantly in the film, but it's not really measured out. There's, you know, the film starts at 11. It can't go anywhere. Uh, there's nudity everywhere. It's like, frankly, I mean, this movie is actually, probably actually misogynistic in a way that a lot of Grindhouse movies aren't, uh, just in the way that the women are just kind of thrown around and given very little to do otherwise in a movie that otherwise just kind of like jokingly just has all of them naked. And, um, And and then whenever you might point out that any of these things mightn't really fit or gel, it's kind of like you you just feel like they're just turning around going like, come on, it's, you know, it's a pastiche, it's fun, it's wacky. And it's like, these guys are clearly very talented. Uh, This is low budget, but it's not that low budget. Like they could have made a real film and instead they've made a film that's supposed to look like something you'd see... On, you know you'd catch unawares on late night television i mean it actively comes with like a tv intro and a commercial break at the middle of it and uh, at the end of the credits mm-hmm. there's like you know up next on this channel you know like it's it's very much constructed in that way um but it, do, it doesn't land any of these things it doesn't look anything like a film you'd find late on tv it doesn't work like a, a old horror movie it doesn't look like a grindhouse movie uh, the whole thing is just it like, it's really just feels like a, a one, like a, an improv group, just screaming at each other amidst special effects. And, uh, and at the end of the day, it's like that, that detachment, that kind of idea of like, look, what we're doing isn't serious. So it's fine. It's kind of like, just try. And they just don't. Mm. And I just, I couldn't connect with anything. This film was torturous for me to sit through. <laughs> um, I, I checked my, I made it to 15 minutes left in the film. And then I checked my watch, and I was like, okay, there's only 15 minutes left. And then I checked my watch again, and there were still seven minutes left. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? And that's the
0: strongest portion of the film. <laughs> I, I, I'm I with you, Jack. I, I don't have any tolerance for this sort of stuff. I mean, you compared it in the chat to Hobo with a Shotgun, which is, it makes sense. These are both movies that uh, have their genesis in fake trailers. Uh I guess the difference is I I I don't think Hobo with the Shotguns like a tremendously good film by any means but it is a different level like that is a movie that was chosen uh from a national contest by Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez as the best like fake grindhouse trailer uh as opposed to this which was chosen because they mailed it to Lloyd Kaufman and
1: he was like oh sure that's great <laughs> <laughs> Comes with the Lloyd Kaufman seal of approval for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that. That's where this loses me entirely. Is a it is inauthentic? It looks like digital shit. Like all, it, it, it's not a good looking movie. Even though there are some fun techniques used, there's a the kernel of something there visually. But I, I still think it's very ugly. There's some it, it just reeks of cheap digital. Uh but. The other thing is, it's just it's trauma through and through, and trauma has the ethos of there's nothing funnier than gross shit happening at all times, and I, I don't agree with that. I gotta say, I I I wasn't yucking it up when a guy for no reason like injects some green liquid into the head of his cock and then slices it with a scalpel for, God knows why, just because it's gross and therefore hilarious. Yeah, I mean, because you you do get a, a a zoomed
2: in shot of a engorged penis uh which is great too when my upstairs neighbors are coming downstairs <laughs> and they happen to like glance through my window <laughs> it's it's uh it's uh squirting penis time on old steve's tv yeah
3: well i i That's will good. say so i saw this film like around the time it came out, which I guess was 2011. And let me just check my math. And so I was I was seven years old when this movie came out. Um, <laughs> but uh, it didn't quite hold up how I enjoyed it the first time I saw it. But, I, and all of your guys' criticisms are certainly warranted. But I think that a lot of the jokes just do land. Um, I'm not somebody who's, I've only seen a handful of their things, but I'm not somebody who's just naturally allergic to trauma productions. But I think this bests all of the ones that I've seen. And uh, I, yeah, I, I, like the, the engorged penis stuff is not funny, but like the scene after the car chase where their car crashes and Ahab passes out uh like they look around and then it just cuts to this random insert shot of like a, a bear from like a nature documentary that is the one <laughs> laugh of the film that i will give you is the one good <laughs> they, joke in the film They cuts back all right we got to get out of here it's not safe <laughs> that's i that i don't know I, that is hilarious to me and also where they they killed the human form of the fuckman he like chases him to the top of this dam where he like shoots him and stomps his head in with a brick and the other guys just kind of watch in horror and he throws his dummy body off the side and he turns and he says hey did you guys
1: see that? <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was funny. It's just it's so much at all times. Like like yeah. there's no modulation in the film and it becomes it just becomes a film that's just screaming at you. And it's kind of like even as much I'm not really a fan of like um S. Craig Zahler or whatever the guy did, like, Dragged Across Concrete. Dragged Across Concrete works, but, like, his previous films, and particularly uh, mm. Brawl and Cell Block 99, I fucking hate that movie. But, like, even those movies, like, pitch up to their shock elements, you know, and then so they're actually kind of shocking, I'd argue, within the context of how he mm-hmm. uses them, they're still not actually shocking, but there's they're still, like, an understanding of the apparatus, whereas this is just, like it's just like a monkey slinging shit everywhere. Like there's just, it's an absolute chaotic, just energy. And like I say, it's frustrating because I think these guys clearly have a lot of talent. I mean, like Psycho Gorman has fantastic special effects and this has really impressive, some impressive special effects too, and miniatures. And like Adam mentions, they use a whole bunch of different techniques all over the place. Like, I mean, it's basically a music video full of just like every every single thing but like steve says it's five minutes long move that's how long most music videos are that's how this kind of aesthetic works it's like a shot in the arm and you move on but this is an hour and 38 minutes long and it just you know it just kind of overwhelms you and to the point where honestly even where they're kind of running on better material it just feels like you're just there's nowhere to go with it
2: yeah Mm. and i was trying to think of like you know, they try to mimic in their films, uh, you know, splattery trauma stuff. And when when I'm talking about trauma stuff, I'm not like, oh, you know, you like the Toxic Avenger and Sergeant Kabuki Man. I'm talking like if your favorite trauma film is like uh, Toxic Avenger Part Four, where it's just like, oh, here's a, a man in an adult diaper like shitting himself for ten minutes. Like that's that's kind of the level that we're we're at with this. So that that can you know help potentially gauge your interest based on that. And then I was like. I don't know, like, it just kind of the, the rubber suit stuff and, and and the natural goofiness to what they're doing, it almost feels like a Don Dohler movie, so he did, uh, you know, Fiend, Night Beast, Galaxy Invader, just these kind of, like, schlocky, uh, uh, East Coast, low-budget regional horror films. The difference there was Don Dohler had, like, zero technique, okay? he he could He could do special effects pretty well for the money that he had, but... As a filmmaker, he had no eye for anything, uh, but he had plenty of passion. And here it feels like because of the ironic detachment and because the Astron Six guys, I don't know if they're afraid to or uninterested or unwilling to just kind of do their own thing, um, they have all the talent in the world, but they just can't apply it to something. And the parts of Father's Day that I think Function the best are the parts where it doesn't feel like I'm just watching a trauma movie. Like I'm just watching them riffing on you know their favorite uh, VHS tapes from the '90s or something. It feels like something that came from them organically. That's where it, it works the best. So I almost want to say, guys, stop writing. Just you, you, you're not allowed. Put your laptops going in the fucking trash compactor. Let somebody else write a script for you, and. You probably have a a pretty decent movie on your hands. Although they did a Leprechaun movie, and I haven't seen that, so I don't know if it's any good. And uh, based on the Leprechaun sequels, <laughs> I I, leprechaun <laughs> I might be wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah. To to be fair, all but one of the Leprechaun sequels, I would take over this film. <laughs> so
0: uh, what's wait, the wait, one? Which is, what's is your, your least space? favorite Leprechaun?
1: <laughs> Lep- leprechaun Origins is the one that is worse than this film.
0: Uh, you th- you you're gonna take in space over this because that
1: movie oh. is some amateur as yeah. I am a hundred percent taking in space over this I'm gonna
0: I'm gonna encourage
2: you to watch leprechaun in space again and then rethink this
0: <laughs> it looks like it was a straight up like filmed high school play like,
1: <laughs> it does but it commits to it i like i I'm fully with Steve on this That so there's like there's uh, a <laughs> You know this movie absolutely backs away. Like it, it can't even embrace its own chaos. There's at all times this kind of feeling of like, you know, hey, it's just a goof. Like, like honestly, spiritually, this is probably closest to a Naked Gun movie more than anything mm-hmm. else. And um, but it doesn't have the just incredibly ornate like visual humor, like cinematic humor. I mean, what really carries those movies, and you kind of almost forget it when you watch the Naked Gun or Airplane, is how intricately crafted not not just the wordplay stuff but they just have these wonderful visual gags that only work on a cinema screen or you know only work in film Um, and this is just kind of like just special effects and squelching and nonsense and stuff but like the same way like the Naked Gun movies like there's no continuity there's no characters particular like everyone's an idiot like how could anyone fall in love with Frank Drebin it would be insane but it works because the jokes land and are really clever in this though it's like everything is just added and remove. it's like there's no continuity of plot which means it really there's no stakes which means whenever anything happens it doesn't matter uh, and stuff mm. keeps happening over and over again like there's just explosions and gore and you know it's just it's utterly repetitive and it's um yeah i mean like the leprechaun sequels they're not great but you know at least there's some sense of like a you know a cartoonish mischief to them that here isn't really isn't really realized because the mischievousness of it is really hedged in kind of like like I say they're just sort of like backing away if you say hey maybe we shouldn't do this it's like now nah, we should because we can but it's like why? Just because we can, because it doesn't matter, because it's not a real film, quote unquote, or it's not you know it uh, you know we're not really <laughs> staked on anything. It's not a grindhouse movie. It's not an action movie. It's not a horror movie. It's not a comedy. It's just some kind of mishmash of everything in between. It's just ideas floating around, and that's kind of like the the end result of it. And you know it just kind of it doesn't work at all in a way that like any you know, even most amateurish films. Like a film I was reminded of this actually was um was Combat Shock. Right, which is, I think, Troma distributed at least. I don't know if they funded it originally, but Combat Shock is one of the most... And Combat Shock, I think, is a really great film, but it's the most just awful, one-note, just, like, miserable, insane, over-the-top film about, like, a PTSD-struck Vietnam veteran just basically murdering people and just going utterly insane in New York. And it's just, like, a swamp of a movie. It's miserable, But it works because it's so utterly dedicated to that aesthetic. And this is like similar in tone of just being so over the top at all times. The combat shock is like just awful every time anything happens. It's just the worst people doing the worst stuff over and over and over again in a New York that looked like it was hit by a bomb. But, you know, it works. It's like there's a a holistic set to it that kind of like brings out like this is a real portrait of something, of some urban you know uh what would you say uh, like disaffection trauma whatever you know this can't even arrive at that stuff accidentally because it just skips away whenever it might land somewhere and it's just it just really makes for a film that I just I can't there's no access point here you know it really this is a movie that makes maybe only sense to be screened at midnight at like fantastic fest to a bunch of people who are already blitzed drunk um And even then, like, I just I just don't get the point of it. It really (laughs) falls away when it like every single scene is just sort of like just screaming at you, like, look at this. And it's like, okay, what next? (laughs) And it's the same thing.
2: I I would say if you have six beers before you watch this, it'll probably like increase your your opinion of it quite a bit.
0: That's possible. Yeah. I mean, I think that. Comparing it to something like Naked Gun, if the last two decades of film history have taught us anything, it's that when you try to make a movie like The Naked Gun with without successful jokes, you get some of the very worst films ever made. And and that's kind of where this lands for me. Is it, it's less Naked Gun in execution and and more whatever the fuck Friedberg and Seltzer nonsense. Spartans. I, <laughs> I think
1: Friedberg and Seltzer are <laughs> exactly the reference point because. Like the Naked Gun, one of the key points of that is that there was a real affection for the material they were riffing on. They, you know, they understood it and they were reproducing it quite intelligently. Whereas Friedberg Seltzer hated what they were riffing on and they thought they were smarter than it, and God knows they were not. Um, you know and so all their movies about like disaster movies or Twilight or whatever was like and this shit's stupid so fucking stupid and they'd make a movie that was worse than everything
0: right and it becomes this like this cavalcade of unsuccessful jokes that just yeah. deadens you very very quickly
1: and again it's it's that detachment it's this, this kind of idea that they're like they're just sm- like we're smarter than it so we don't even need to engage with why anyone would like it uh, and it, that's why it falls flat this is curious and then like i think these guys really love zany wild cult movies but they have to try and invent one from scratch and they don't seem to be quite aware of how to invent one from scratch cuz cult movies are really hard to pin down it's really hard to get them so yeah it it just sort of it just doesn't gel satisfactorily and i think there's they're 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 hedging their bets they would, they would be better off going all in on something and, and, you know, to to their credit, I think Psycho Gorman is, like, is an improvement. I didn't like that movie either, but it's at least a coherent spoof of, like, those Sentai, Mighty Morphin, Power Rangers kind of thing. Like, it coherently mimics at least a good chunk of those in a way that this movie doesn't. So I guess maybe they're getting better. Uh, like, maybe down the line, they'll make a film. Yeah, maybe.
0: I will say this is my first experience with the Astron 6 and... I, I don't mean to be that harsh, because I do think this thing's here. I, I appreciate the stop motion. I think a lot of the gore effects for the budget are quite impressive. I think this stuff here, I wouldn't be surprised if, if some of their future work is is better. I just think that as a first attempt, this is this is a fucking mess. Fair enough.
2: <laughs> All right, well, I just want to leave you guys with the nugget of knowledge that you're probably asking yourself, geez, what are Friedberg and Seltzer up to right now uh, since they really haven't done anything since uh, probably like the early 2010s? And the answer is they're uh, planning a comeback with uh, Star Wars episode IVE equals MC2, The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi Who Went Rogue. So look for that in 2021. Jesus,
1: they learn nothing.
2: Can't wait. Yeah. Also, speaking to your point where, um, Jack, you know, they they hate everything. Um, they also seem to really hate themselves now. Uh, if you read the storyline on IMDb, it's pretty fucking grim. So, uh, yeah, just, just something out there for the free bird seltzer heads. I know there's plenty of them who listen to our show. That's our audience. All right, boys. Well, we're going to wrap things up. So, uh, Myros, what are you putting over this week?
0: Uh, you know, I haven't watched a ton. I, I'm going to put over, you know, Anonymous Volume 1 uh, because I need to learn the secrets of Atlantis. But uh, beyond... <laughs>
2: What? It's a good caustic content reference. Look that up on, on Amazon. Yeah,
0: I guess that that took up almost all of my week and uh yeah, check it out. But beyond self-promotion, I I suppose uh they just announced a uh, sequel to Mario Plus Rabbit's Kingdom battle, and uh I'm excited for that, so I kinda wanna go back and replay that. And if you haven't checked it out because you you're like what the fuck's this stupid rabbit shit uh, play it. It's, it's one of the most fun games on the switch and, uh, you'll have a good time with it. So, uh, and it's usually, you can get it on sale for like fucking $15 or something.
2: Yeah. It's really good. It's like XCOM, but like not crushingly heart destroying difficulty. And yeah, it's, it's just, it's a lot easier to get into good shit. I agree with you on that one. Uh, Jake, what are you putting over this week?
3: Uh, I'm going to put over a TV show that lasted for one season called Jet, it's created by Sebastian Gutierrez and it stars his wife Carla Giugino. She plays a former uh cat burglar jewel thief who's just uh released from prison and attempts to lead a straight life, but uh unfortunately the criminal underworld comes calling back to her. It's uh it's a very pulpy, very stylish show uh and it uh is totally fucking awesome and it's a shame that uh, it got canceled after one season because it's uh, one of the best looking shows uh, I've seen in recent memory. Um, I think you can maybe find it on Hulu if you have a Cinemax uh, subscription or something. But uh, yeah, if you're a fan of other Cinemax shows like uh, Banshee and Quarry, I would suggest uh, checking this out as well. Uh, Jet is a lot of fun. J-E-T-T.
2: You know, Jake, when when you said you, you wanted to put over uh, a, a one season TV show... I, I immediately thought of uh, Lights, Camera, Jackson and his favorite. You know what his favorite TV show is, right?
3: Uh, he's got a podcast devoted to it. I don't know what yeah. it's called. but Oh,
2: yeah, man. Fucking Back to You starring Kelsey Grammer um, and everybody's favorite, Josh Gad. <laughs> brought it back around to josh gad didn't think we could do it but here we are so
0: i think we were talking about josh gad off, off mic so uh you know you, you've just oh, called back to something that, uh, yeah. that the audience will not understand
2: <laughs> they don't understand anything sorry i i had a really in-depth conversation before we started the podcast where i needed to understand josh gad so uh yeah that's you know
3: i'd like to uh i'd like to put over josh gad into a wood chipper <laughs> mm.
2: I'd like to help you out with that, buddy. So, uh, yeah, Jack, what are you putting over this week?
1: Okay, so maybe you're a ministry fan. Maybe you're a big fan of the song So What, which is a great song and features a lot of of sound samples of a judge lecturing someone about juvenile delinquency and thrill killers. Uh, If you didn't know, uh, that audio all comes from a movie called The Violent Years. Which is directed, I believe, by Mil- William Morgan. I believe is a director. Yes, but uh, more more accurately, it's written by Edward Wood Jr. Everyone's favorite uh, movie auteur. Uh, incredible film. Um, the Violent Years. It is a, follows a girl gang, uh, a group of uh, juvenile delinquents who. Um, Somehow go go and knock over gas stations and at some point are told to trash a classroom in a ruse that somehow is perhaps linked to communism. They're not exactly clear. And from literally throwing some shit around in a classroom, end up murdering a police officer, which is an incredible escalation of events. Um, Incredible movie. Like all Ed Wood stuff, it's kind of subversive. It's kind of, uh, don't take it all at face value, but a really really entertaining, really fucking funny movie, Uh, definitely advise you to check it out. And it's like, it's an hour long, so very easy to watch. And you'll learn all kinds of things about how to be a moral, decent, upstanding member of society.
2: Good to know. Yeah, man. Uh, The American Genre Film uh, Archive put out a Blu-ray, I think, yeah, they yeah. did. Oh, it's, it's
1: good, it's great, and it comes with an amazing trailer reel of like real European cinema that's just been hacked up to be sold as exploitation in America. There's there's a whole education on that disc, so yeah, whole, fully recommend it. the whole package.
2: Fantastic. All right, well, you know, this week I've been thinking a lot about well, Josh Gad, obviously, lights camera Jackson, and uh, but more importantly, Sugar Ray. And I was thinking about that little factoid on the Sugar Ray Wikipedia page uh, about how Sugar Ray did a Brian Eno cover. And that got me thinking, man, I haven't listened to uh, Brian Eno's 1975 album, Another Green World, in a while. And let me tell you, it's a great fucking album. Uh, If you've never listened to Brian Eno, it's actually a really great entry point for his music. It's, uh, It's some of his poppier stuff, but it's still very weird and abstract. Um, But it's, you know, it's not like his uh, his ambient music or anything like that. Uh, It's just end to end a wonderful album. Really cool. uh, Sounds light years ahead of its time. It's uh, it's fucking great, man. Go listen to it It's on Spotify or whatever. Go buy it. You get a little extra cash. Go do it. Uh, Other than that. Hey, if you listen to this podcast, do us a big favor.
0: Hey, Steve, before your outro spiel, can I give an important update uh I, yeah. I feel like our audience needs to know. The, the Friedberg and Seltzer directed a, a found footage comedy in twenty thirteen that is a bloom film that made a, a has a zero percent uh, positive review score and made two hundred and thirty thousand dollars uh domestically. That's incredible. Yeah. What's it called? A best night ever
2: that oh. is absolutely
1: gonna show up on one of our episodes that we're <laughs> yep. drawn to that like a moth to the sun <laughs> oh
2: yeah, absolutely and and you know where a great place would be for you know so, something like that to show up mostly because i I wanna just like just hear the anguish in Sean Glynnis' voice as he watches this um you, you guys you and Sean have been doing some uh, some Blumhouse uh work for the patreon feed, so if you go to the description of this very podcast episode that you are listening to. There's a link to our Patreon. And if you donate uh, just a couple bucks, that'll get you access to uh, our entire back catalog and some special Patreon-only content, including Myros and Sean going through some uh, Bumhouse stuff that we haven't covered before. And maybe Friedberg and Seltzer is just around the corner. <laughs> I bet you could probably get it in under the radar because I don't think, like, it, it doesn't sound like, like it's not called, like, found footage movie like there's no way he would know until he knows (laughs) so we'll try and sneak that in that that could happen also if you uh if you donate a couple bucks and you live in the continental united states seriously donate at any level and uh until i run out of shit to give you i'm gonna send you a dvd or a blu-ray or a box set or a vhs tape or a laser disc who knows something from my personal movie collection uh it's gonna come the middle. you don't know what it is could be, uh, you know, Fast and the Furious six. Could be, uh, could be porn, a bunch of porn. You don't know. You know what you're gonna get. Anything's possible, truly. Uh, and then also, if you uh, if you donate at at higher points, say you give us five dollars a month, well then you get a shout out on the air, and you could be the next Ryan or the next Dustin or the next Paula. It's it's a very exciting tier to be in. And if you donate even more money, you can actually dictate the content that we do on the show which is a great power to wield. So imagine that. You could be like, I want, I want a Friedberg and Seltzer episode. I need that. I want a Josh Gad episode. I need that. Uh, maybe that's because you just want to donate $20 because you hate us and you want to hurt us. And that's fine too. We understand that that urge. So all these things are at your fingertips. And then also there's another link in the description of the podcast, and that'll take you to our iTunes page where you can give us a five-star written review which really helps out with the old algorithm uh so if you haven't yet done that uh please do that would be lovely other than that i think i think that's pretty much everything except for hey you can find us on twitter at optimism vaccine or you can email us optimism vaccine gmail.com and jake last word's yours
3: happy scothers day
2: happy fucking scothers day